Hi, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this broadcast. And you know my hope. My hope and my heart is that you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, enlighten, equip, and then lovingly, but gently and persistently get you out there in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and start to listen, I want to share with you what this month's truth tool is. It is the Christmas season. So all around us, we see the symbols that remind us of the greatest story ever told. And one of the main players in the story we talk about at Christmas are angels. But we really don't know much about them. We're confused. We've let Renaissance artists somehow define them as chubby little cherubs or somehow they're sitting on a cloud playing a harp. But angels are a whole lot more. They are powerful entities. That's why every single time when they made an appearance in Scripture, the first words are, fear not. But these are ministering spirits sent from God to protect us, to guard us, to give messages to us, and they are still very active today. The book I've chosen is Angels by Tim Chester, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. It'll answer all the questions you have about these angelic beings and the role that they play in God's creation. Ask for your copy of Angels when you give a gift of any amount by calling 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. You can't miss the cover. It has wings on it. Click on the picture, make your donation, and we'll send you, as my way of saying thank you for financially supporting the program, a copy of Angels, When Heaven Meets Earth. When you're on the website, just take a moment and look down one paragraph below the Truth Tool, and you'll get a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are our dear friends who give every single month at a level of their own choosing. In addition to getting whatever the Truth Tool is for every month you're a partial partner, you'll also get a weekly newsletter that includes an audio piece from me. So if you want to be a monthly giver, setting the level of giving at your own amount, or whether or not you just want this month's Truth Tool, all of that is available to you at 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58, or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please, enjoy the broadcast. friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us and enjoy the broadcast. My favorite movie soundtracks from one of my favorite movies. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And I bet it's yours, too. One of those movies that you just don't forget. The movie was called Backdraft. Remember that? The story of two brothers who served in the fire department in the great city of Chicago. It was an insight into what it's like to be a firefighter. Yeah, I'm going to fully confess here in complete transparency. I've taken our firefighters for granted. And it wasn't until 9-11 when I saw what they did, when they ran in, when people were running out, that I realized that God had shaken me up to say, wait a minute, 
These people stand in the gap for you. You need to say thank you on a regular basis. So I have a completely different perspective on those who decide to serve in our fire departments now. It's an amazing calling, and it's one that's not that well understood, I think. We don't understand the training. We don't understand what they see, what they witness, what they hear, the wear and tear on their lives, their marriages, the sacrifices they have to make, and what it's like to be a rescuer. Now, there's a thought. That's what we're going to talk about this hour. In fact, we're going to talk with Jason Sattel, who has been a firefighter, spent 22 years as a paramedic and a firefighter. But his fondest memories are from his time serving the citizens of Oakland, California, as a member of the Oakland Fire Department. He has written about his journey in his book called The Rescuer, One Firefighter Story of Courage, darkness, and the relentless love that saved him. Jason, first, before I say anything besides welcome, I want to say thank you. Thank you for standing in the gap, mostly for the citizens of Oklahoma, of Oakland, California. But when you do that, by the way, you're really standing in the gap for all of us. So I want to say thank you and the warmest of welcomes. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you, Jenna, for having me. I really appreciate that. That's very kind. Well, it's my honor. And I wanted to ask you what compelled you to become a firefighter. That would be a normal and appropriate place to start. But it isn't where you start in the book. And I don't think I can understand the answer to that question until I understand better what it was like for you as a child growing up. The word tough comes to mind on so many levels. Your dad was a Vietnam vet. Talk to me about him. You know, my dad is an amazing, wonderful, caring person. So I don't want it to sound like he, he's an absolute hideous person. And um, obviously, uh, we, we do have a lot of friction sometimes that still pops up between us. And, you know, God's still working on both of us, that's for sure. And I take responsibility <laughs> for my part. But as a child, it was tough because my mom and him divorced when I was about oh, eight to 10 years old, kind of in that, that range. And my mom moved 500 miles away and I stayed with my dad. And he, like you mentioned, was a Vietnam veteran and he, he had a lot of struggles of his own. Mm-hmm. And the struggles kind of kept him from being, I believe, the father that he really wanted to be. I think he really wanted to try harder and do harder, do better, but he just struggled a lot. And so it affected me in a way that was pretty tough, you know, not having any friends, not having a parent I can go to and say, hey, I, I can't make friends or I'm struggling with this teacher here. Could you help me with this teacher? Because he would be of the mindset of, well, tell your teachers to do your jobs. And so I would then talk to my teacher and say, hey, teacher, could you help me on this? And the teacher in turn, well, that's your parents' job to help you with that. And I I was just kind of stuck in the middle. And and that was just kind of life as general for me that any problems I had, it was just really hard for me to go to him because his mind was someplace else as opposed to being a parent. And it's hard. And, you know, having lived through that era, I can tell you, we didn't talk as openly about post-traumatic stress disorder then as we do now. And the wounds that so many of our vets coming back from Vietnam carried Mm -hmm. with them were never, ever, ever discussed. And they carried that burden for the rest of their life. So thank you for sharing that part. Your mom moves away. You write about a very traumatic experience on your first day of school. And it's a wonderful word picture of being closeted in darkness for so many years of your life. Talk to me about that. Yeah, that was in kindergarten. So my parents were still married, happily or not. I don't know because I was pretty young, but my dad was unhappily married. But regardless, my mom was kind of like my security blanket. 
as a young little one, I was one of those leg clingers, if you will. You know, when people come around, I'd cling to mom's <laughs> leg. And I remember when uh, she told me that we were going to be starting a thing called kindergarten. And I was like, yeah, you're okie dokie me because we're going to go there and you're leaving me. And I'm not okay with that. And so I remember when we were there, all I could think about when all the other kids were finding their desks and where to sit down was in just a few minutes, she's gone. I'm going to be miserable and I don't have anything that I can grab onto like her. So she went to walk out the door finally. And, you know, I ran after her and the teacher convinced her that I was going to be just fine, you know, and had, had her go about her way and sat me back down. And I basically threw a fit because I wanted to get to my mom because I was just heartbroken because I'd never been separated from her. Well, instead of talking me down or going through the ways that they probably should have or they would do nowadays, there was still a lot of, as you mentioned, old school stuff going on, kind of like what happened with our vets when they came back. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't maybe have a tree. So instead of uh, taking care of me, they said, you're going to go in this closet here until you stop screaming. And that closet was in the principal's office, and it was just off to the side, which was a janitor's closet. And sure enough, I couldn't stop crying and screaming because I was so broken. And I remember they just shut me in that closet. And mm. it was like a moment, even though I was really young, it's one of my first memories of, I just felt totally in a world of darkness, emptiness, and pain that was coming from loneliness. Yeah. And so I finally just quieted down and they let me out of the closet eventually. And they held it as a threat over my head, but I, I never used the threat of Go of what they said to me to not go back in the closet. I remember being in there and I didn't want to experience the evilness that I kind of felt in there. Wow. So, yeah, that's how it kind of went down. And Jason, just think you're a grown man and what an indelible mark that left in your life. But because of what you've come to know now as truth, you recognize that in that darkness, you were eventually rescued. That's all a part of your story. I'm so glad we get to spend the hour together. More with Jason Sattel right after this. This time of year, we frequently sing about them and often put one on the top of our Christmas tree. But who are angels, really? That's why I've chosen angels as this month's truth tool. Discover how these ministering spirits are both personal and powerful servants of God. Ask for your copy of Angels when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We have the privilege of spending the hour with Jason Sattel, and I'm thrilled that he's with us. Jason, by the way, spent 22 years working as a paramedic and a firefighter serving the citizens of Oakland, California. And he tells his story in the new book, The Rescuer, one firefighter's story of courage, darkness, and the relentless love that saved him. I tell you, it's amazing. And by the way, being here in the shadow of the nation's capital in Washington, D.C., I have had the privilege of having access to a lot of the people you see on the front page of the newspaper or the Sunday morning talk shows, and you get in Washington for a long enough time, and uh, people are interested in getting their story out there. And that's great. That's wonderful. And I'm always privileged to be able to do it. I love the fact that I'm uh, able to ask questions from a different perspective, and that is from a biblically-centered perspective, and that changes your whole perspective on the news. But I'm always asked, what are your favorite conversations? The kind I'm having with Jason are my favorite conversations, and I'm going to tell you why, because I love to hear the stories of what Jesus has done in, for, and through us. 
And I can't wait to hear your story. I'm so glad that eternity is just that, an eternity, because I can't wait to sit around whatever campfire the Lord provides for us and get to hear everybody's story of what Jesus did for them. They wouldn't be there in eternity if they hadn't received what Jesus had done. So how did you come to know him? What is his story in your life? And that's why, Jason, your conversations are the very, very, very best. And to be able to use this whole idea of service as a paramedic and a firefighter and dealing literally in darkness before you're set free is absolutely amazing. So let me go back to your childhood. So you eventually leave school and you decide that you're going to become a firefighter. Now, you got to teach me about your world because I've introduced you as two of them which is a paramedic and a firefighter. Do you automatically become both, or do you have to be trained in both disciplines? Well, yes and no, so I'll break it down for you nice and easy. <laughs> um, obviously, fires are, beca- even though we see them more on TV, the, the house fires have kind of gone down just because of the buildings that they're making now with more fire safety. But 80% of what most fire departments do are responding to medicals. And so, therefore, the fire department realized, well, we're usually there first because there's a local firehouse down the street. So we need to get trained paramedics on the fire engine while we're waiting for the ambulance. So most people will become EMTs, which is an emergency medical technician, which is the basic level of stop the bleeding, do CPR. And it's, it's way more advanced than first aid. But a paramedic, it doesn't equate to a physician or even a nurse, if you will. But in that kind of realm, in the field, the paramedic is kind of like that on scene because they get to give medicine. They get to do advanced techniques where actually they can put airways right into the throat without going through the mouth um, and, and taking care of people that way. So a lot of departments have paramedics, but it doesn't mean that you're just a paramedic or just a firefighter. On the yeah. medical scene, well, we're just all medical providers because the house isn't burning. When we respond to a fire, life is our highest priority, then property, then environment. So we go into firefighting mode. But when we find a victim, what's our highest priority? Get them out and bring them the highest level of patient care we can as quick as we can and then get them off to the hospital. So I can't speak into all fire departments nationwide, Mm -hmm. but the majority of them are starting to go to paramedics also on board of every fire apparatus. It just makes sense. I'm just thinking of the time factor. If you have a fire and you have a victim, they have to wait for some other emergency vehicle. It doesn't make sense to me. So that's amazing. This is probably an unfair question because they're two halves of a whole of your life. But did you find yourself... Uh, more interested in the paramedic aspect of it or the firefighting or the two non-distinguishable in your work? I obviously, being a young man, as I was in the book, I really enjoyed the action of going to a fire. As weird as that sounds, you never want to see anyone's house burn down or, or lose stuff. But it is going to happen. And I enjoyed being there because the adrenaline rush and and being able to help, it was just a blessing all the way around. Obviously them losing stuff is not a blessing. So I really enjoyed the firefighting side, but a couple of times early on in my career, before I became a paramedic, I worked for a small rural department and we would respond to a medical. And the worst thing that could happen happened to me is we responded to a scene where someone was having a major medical emergency and I wasn't fully trained to take care of it. And I felt mm. useless. And mm. that drove me that, to become a paramedic. Because I thought, well, if 80% of what we're doing is going to medicals, I want to be good at that too. So, mm. so it's kind of like a parallel. I love doing both because they, they're both on the same scenes. 
but you have to be really good at each of them. You can't choose yeah. one or the other to be better. And not only that, Jason, but, you know, in medicine, we talk about that golden hour. I mean, you're, the mm. clock is ticking when you get there. So, wow, that is absolutely amazing. So I have to ask another question as I learn more about your world. Who says, boy, I can't wait to put on that uniform, bulky though it might be, and run into a building and maybe lose my life? What drew you to this in the first place? Well, you know, it's like anything. You're taking calculated risks. So it's not like you're choosing, hey, I'm going to go die today. But the risk is always there, and you're taking calculated risk and, and trying to make sure that you're safe and that your crew's safe. But ultimately, our job is to show up and treat people without judging and give them a chance. And we can't just sit around and say, oh, well, they're burning up inside of a house, and it's hot in there, so we're going to stay out. No, we're going to use everything we can to, to go get them. And can things go wrong? Yes, 100% they can go wrong. And, and our brothers and sisters are lost every year. I mean, hundreds of them every year because of that. But none of them decide and say, hey, I'm just choosing to die today. Is that if it happens, sure, it's in the back of your head, but you still just push through and, and help those that you've been sworn to serve. Wow. Amazing. Uh, I'm going to come up to a break here. So let me ask you a question. And if you get interrupted, please know it's just the clock that acts like dictator here. (laughs) No problem. My my question is, when you're going through this kind of training, there are so many aspects. And let me just go to the paramedic side first, if I can, because you've got all kinds of issues. You're dealing with car accidents. You're dealing with births. You're dealing with mental health issues as well. The the preparedness, it seems to me, Jason, has to be huge because you are, in every sense of the word, the first responder and the decisions you make immediately on site could end up in a life or could end up in a death. So I want to, when we come back, tell me about that training because it really is a little bit of everything that you have to do. And I want to find out as you treated those people in the world of being a paramedic, were there some that you favored over others? Jason Sattel is with us. It is absolutely a fascinating book. He tells all kinds of stories. If you are the tiniest bit interested in what it's like to be a firefighter, you should read this book. But if you find yourself in a dark closet and you think there's no way out and you're wondering if you can be rescued, then this is the book you need to read. More with Jason Sattel right after this. The Rescuer, brand new book by Jason Sattel. By the way, did you know Jason has almost 750,000 followers on his Facebook page? And he does some fabulous tweeting as well. So I've got a link to his Twitter account, but check him out on Facebook as well. Excellent. He spends a lot of time now talking about the Lord and encouraging people on what the Word has to say. But his new book is a must-read, officially entitled The Rescuer, One Firefighter Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love that Saved Him. So, Jason, I asked you just before the break, as I look at the paramedic side of the paramedic firefighting that you were trained and did do for decades— Uh, You have to really touch base on a myriad of issues. There's a very robust conversation in Washington right now about how we can help our first responders deal with the mental health crisis in America, because so often, for example, police will arrest as opposed to police getting the help that this patient needs to get. Mm -hmm. You see this all the time in the work that you did as well. So what kind of training did you get, particularly? I know funding is everything, but did you get training that you felt was sufficient? Oh, 100%. When you're training up to become a firefighter, 
the early stages before you even get the job, get hired and sworn in, there's a lot of work that's put upon you of going to paramedic school by yourself, paying for it, because, you know, most municipalities can't afford to, to send someone to $30,000 worth of training. Mm-hmm. But the training that they do give is so phenomenal because it comes from the initial academy that you're in, that you're learning the basics. And then what happens after that is you're learning under senior men and women. And that is where the true training comes in because we all go to classes together, but then those above me would, we'd get back to the firehouse. They would put their experience into teaching us what those classes were about and basically tell them this is where the rubber hits the road. And this class we took, this is how we're going to put it into action. And this is what I have seen in the past that I can now train you up on. And, and that's why I just, the, the training's phenomenal. Could we use more money? <sighs> it's hard for me to speak into that because, you know, I did leave the fire department with a fire ground injury, but I know from a firefighter's perspective, I do wish that we had better funding yeah. to take care of our men and women in the mental health side, especially because yeah. we deal with a lot. Absolutely. Well, on that note, what happens with your training and you get there and you've gotten a report that someone is, is an immediate eminent, that's a word a lot of states use in their statutory language, eminent harm to themselves or to others. And basically you have to try to talk the person down figuratively and literally in some cases to try to get them into a facility where they can get the help. A lot of states have uh, observation windows of up to 72 hours because, you know, thanks to the ACLU, nobody now can be involuntarily committed, even though the organization or the, the organ, the brain that makes those decisions is malfunctioning and that person can't take care of themselves. I'll get off my soapbox. But what do you no, do? You're, <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> what do you do when you go somewhere and you see this person who's in crisis. Some days it might work, some days it doesn't. And on the days it doesn't, how do you live with that? Yeah, well, you, you know, you're as passionate about it as I am because mental health issues run in my family. And there's a reason we adopted some children was because of a mental health illness mm. that we took on some kids. So, but, but for the line of work, how do we deal with that? What I do is I've always said, I put the policy makers, the bean counters, everyone behind me, because we're out there. Our job is to now just work. Their job is to set policies, and we have to put these policies into play. And I'll be honest, like you said, a lot of them don't work, and they don't make sense. So what I've learned is be real. We assess a person. We come up to them. It's like, talk to people. Get to know them. Mm -hmm. What is driving them into this issue that they're having? Maybe they have depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, something, which are true medical issues. These people are, 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 are hurting people. So what we do is I assess them. And what I look at it is if on a medical patient, I gave someone who's having a stroke heart attack medications, I can right. kill them yeah. and vice versa. So how do I make sure I do that? I assess them to see if they're having a stroke, heart attack, something else. Same thing with someone having a, a mental breakdown, if you will, or, or, or a, psych, a psychiatric emergency is I got to assess them. And each one has its own individual needs, meaning the medical emergency, not the person. Then I talk to the person and just ask them how they are. And we just start going from there. So, Jason, end of the day, how do you unsee what you can't unsee? After a while, as much as you want to leave your work at the office, quote-unquote, a lot of that stuff you can't unsee. And in some respects, it's not unlike what your dad experienced in Vietnam. How do you guard your heart and your mind? Well, I used to think I knew how before I became a Christian, and I didn't. I use all the wisdom of this world to try to 
handle that by going through psycholo- um, a psychologist, which I think they're amazing. And, and I've tried to use other tools. But what I've learned is if you don't bring a biblical approach to it, where do you actually leave the problem? Mm. Where's the foundation where you mm-hmm. can build from? And every call you go to, whether it's just you're doing CPR on a baby or you pulled someone out of a burning building, or maybe it's just a heart attack victim who's 90 years old, but you're looking this man's wife in the eyes and telling her that her husband is dead. Yeah. Every one of those calls, a little piece of them sticks to you when you walk out and climb back on that fire engine. And eventually it starts to weigh you down if you don't have anywhere to leave it. And that's what started happening to me was with my past, with what I was going through, that I was a rescuer who didn't even know how to rescue himself and I was dying inside. And I tell people we need a foundation to build from. And obviously for me, what's our foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ and our faith. And that's where I started to build from because once I learned about that, truth and reality came into me. Jason, it's like we rehearsed that. You could not take a break at a better point. In fact, this is a pivotal part of your story. So I want to come back really at the low before you discover the high and a day that changed your life forever and what it's like to go to a church where maybe you're not so welcome. Yeah, there's a whole lot more to the story. We're only halfway through. Jason's given me and us the gift of one hour of his time. I can't ever give it back to him. But I'll bet you and I are going to hear something we'll never forget, and we're going to be reminded who our rescuer is back after this. This is Janet Parshall, and I want to take a moment to remind you that today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines aren't open. But I sure do appreciate your spending the hour with us, and thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the program. Eight out of ten Americans believe in angels, and four out of ten who don't go to church also believe in them. But who are they? What are they? That's why I've chosen Angels as this month's Truth Tool. The clear answers in this book will reawaken your interest in this vast multitude of God's creation. As for your copy of Angels when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market, call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're spending the hour with Jason Sattel, who's written the wonderful brand new book called The Rescuer, One Firefighter Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love that Saved Him. By the way, he's changed some of the addresses he writes in the beginning of the book and tells his friends back at Oakland Fire that uh, he did so to protect the privacy of some individuals, but they are nonetheless absolutely page-turning stories. You're riding along in the engine. You get a chance to go to these events and to see what happens and to understand what great people like Jason do on a regular basis. 24 hours on and 48 hours off to recover, Jason. That says something about the work. Eight to eight, 24 hours, 48 hours off, then you're back again. You have a series of emergency calls. And because you said that your foundation wasn't built on our rescuer at this point in your life, your thoughts got dark and you thought, you know, maybe it would be just easy if I called it quits. Tell me about that stage of your life. Well, you know, it is just nothing was working out. All the Band-Aids that I had tried putting on this emptiness inside of me weren't working. And so one day I finally got this little inkling, hey, there's a church right down the road from my house and I'm going to go check it out. And, and I was just struggling. So 
I'm a pretty casual dresser for the most part. I probably look like your average California boy, even though I don't fit into the ideologies out here, but don't tell everyone out here that I said that. Um, <laughs> so I, I, um, I, I went to this church in my best pair of shorts and my best t-shirt, my best pair of Vans. And as I was walking up, I started getting nervous because there were a bunch of people dressed in um, ties and fine wear. And as I got to the door, there were these two greeters there, which quickly stopped being greeters and quickly became bouncers. And they oh. looked at me and said, you can't come in here dressed like that. Mm. Well, I you was know, in a bad place. Yeah, wow. Well, I was just going to say, Jason, it's just a good thinking word, a tax collector. You know, I mean, it could have been worse, <laughs> right? Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there. That's for sure. <laughs> And so as I go and I talk to these guys, they say, you can't come here dressed like this. Well, I grew up wearing clothes that all the other kids didn't have, and I had to wash my own clothes beginning at the, in the third or fourth grade, so I was always ratty. So the way I dressed always hurt me because people always made fun of my clothes, even as a child. And sure enough, these guys were turning me away, and I didn't want to puff up and be all self-righteous, but I had a badge in my wallet. I, resp- I would go to fires and pull people out and help, but I wasn't good enough to get into your church. So I was going to give these guys a piece of my mind and walk away. But instead, I said, just walk away, Jason. I walked away, but I did. My eyes were welting up because oh. I wanted the happiness that was in that church, and they wouldn't let me in. And it just broke me down mentally wow. and spiritually. Wow. Jason, you know, this is why I always say this on the air. C.S. Lewis said it beautifully. It's worth quoting. Christians are the best argument for and against Christianity. It would have been so yeah. easy for you to turn, walk away with those tears in your eyes and say, that's it. I gave it one shot. Never again. Mm-hmm. I, I, it sounds like they're happy beyond the bouncers, but I'm not going to bark in their door again. But you didn't do that, which tells me so much about your character. Why did you decide to try it again? Well, it was something I felt calling me inside. At the time, I didn't know what it was, but it was honestly a uh, a young lady invited me to church. <laughs> I was um, struggling, and I just started dating a young lady named Christy, and um, I told her about some stuff that happened at the firehouse and a really bad call we went on, and she said, well, what was the outcome? And I said, well, the little girl, she passed away in my arms and I was mm. holding her mom and her as we were crying. She's saying goodbye to her little daughter that had been struck by this car. Mm. And I look up and Christy's crying. And I'd never opened up like that to anyone in my entire life. And I went, great, here I go. I just tore up another relationship. And she looked at me and she says, well, that child's with Jesus. Isn't that good? Oh. And she looked at me and I said, I don't have an answer for you. Because at this point, all the way since I was a child to the way that the church treated me. My dad told me that Christians were just dumb church people. And that's what I grew up thinking. And then it got kind of confirmed as when, when I had that one bad experience. But I also know not everyone's the same, so I didn't hold that against all, all Christians or the, the faith. Obviously. And so she then told me later that evening, she invited me for a cup of coffee. And she's a college student at the time to swing by the coffee shop. And she says, I'm in love with you. And we'd only been dating for two weeks. And deep down, it's like, don't, don't tell her this out loud. I, I was in love with her at that point, too, but I'd be the <laughs> tough guy. But I didn't let her in on that. And so she looks at me and she says, I'm in love with you, but I'm going to break up with you unless you go to church with me. Never once did she say she had to be a, I have to be a Christian. She just wanted me to go to church with her because I saw the goodness in her and I wanted to know where it was coming from. So I went with her. So jokingly, I say the reason I went to church was because of a very cute uh, nursing student at Sonoma State University (laughs) that I really wanted to date. But there was something so much more because she had a brightness shining out of her that I had never seen out of anyone. And when I was around her, it just radiated out of her and it felt good. And and it made me want to go. Wow. 
that is so similar to the story between me and my husband. I would be the Christie in our relationship. My husband, Craig, would be the Jason in your relationship. But after a while, because I had a firsthand seat to see this up close and personal, as cute as that girl was sitting next to you, who, by the way, let me reveal at this point, becomes Mrs. Sattel. So I'll tell you how that ends. But at some point, the focus goes from Christie to what you're hearing from the pulpit. What's happening in your heart? You know, when when I went there, I actually heard a message that kind of offended me because it was talking about where goodness came from. Like, well, I'm good. I'm going to fires and I'm helping people. But when retrospectively looking back at it now with what I call my scriptural goggles, it was almost like an act of self-worship. Sure, mm-hmm. I wanted to help people, but I, the whole thing was I, 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 I wanted to help. I wanted to do it because it was the right thing to do. But once I heard this message where goodness came from, and it actually kind of offended me. It made me want to think a little more because it convicted me to keep on searching about what's going on. And once I realized that, you know, this, this world's fallen and it's messed up and goodness comes from above. And once I recognize that and I want to pour it out into other people and that's where I found my joy, things started to change. And it was the message within that church that, that made me uh, convert, to be honest wow. with you. But you did not respond to an altar call. You didn't go to the front. You write in the book exactly how you prayed mm-hmm. that prayer. Share that with my friends. You know, it was, um, I had a, uh, an incident at a fire where I thought I was going to die. And luckily, it wasn't as horrible as it could have been, because I don't want to take any glory away from or stolen valor away from people that have died in fires or have been critically injured because it didn't get hurt. But... I did. It did make me think about eternity when I figured this is it. I'm going to die in this fire. And as I came out of the fire, I realized I wanted to live for something so much more. And and I wanted the eternity of perfection as opposed to the message I'd heard of an eternity of wrath. That didn't sound very good to me, but it became truth. There was fear, which obviously we know you find truth in the fear, you know, fear mm-hmm. and, and knowledge and fear. But it wasn't 100% the driving force. I wanted something better. And it was just like the light clicked on me and all the darkness I had of my childhood and all these horrible things that I'd seen as a paramedic on an ambulance before I became a firefighter and all the stuff I saw as a firefighter. It didn't make it totally better, but it gave me clarity because before I could never explain it, I tried to explain it as the world would. But then once I realized sin, evil, all these things are going, the light clicked on and I realized, wow, this is what's happening. So that's kind of how it went down was at a fire hearing the message. And I'll be honest with you, something inside of me, now that I look back upon it, had been calling me, not something, someone had been calling me for uh, many years, but I was finally able to shut off the pollution of this world that was filling my head and the noise of this world that was filling my head and be able to truly hear the gospel message. Wow. Let me pick up on something you said. You write about this in the book, Jason, and I loved it because it's true, but most of us don't recognize it. It didn't slip past you that while you were in the dark, that God was pursuing you. I don't know. That that takes my breath away when we think of the king of creation pursuing us. But you said that when you realized that what you were hearing was true, you realized that God had been pursuing you. What does that do to a person who has a hole in their heart? It's so, I mean, I get kind of emotional just talking about it because 
for me, I'm one of these people that when something goes bad, I, I, I can't shake my fist at God in anger. And I'm not saying, you know, people that do, I get where that's come from because I've been on so many scenes where there's been so much tragic loss and people are so angry and sometimes they, they divert it towards God. And think, I can't do that because I sat in, in the darkness without him and separated for, from him for so long that he filled everything through what he gave me and gracefully gave me through his son that it was like the the black hole that was living inside me that was just chewing up everything this world said would make me feel better it was destroyed it was gone but just to be clear did things keep bothering me on the job and do they still 100 yeah. percent but i now have a place to go back to to reset to and truth and strength to draw from to get me through all of that. Yes, and, yes. and that's just what it's done for me, Jan, to be honest yeah. with you. Jason, I love what you just said, because so often when we tell our stories of coming to faith in Christ and the world peers in and listens, they think that what we're saying is that it's just, it's just everything is wonderful. It's fluffy clouds. It's cotton candy. It's balloons. Everything is great. You didn't say that, because if we read his word, that is not what happens. When fiery trials come in this life, you will have tribulation. You want me to keep going through the guarantees in Scripture. It's all there. But you said something very significant, and particularly from a firefighter's perspective. You talk about buildings and how they're made. You found the foundation. So no matter what happened going forward, you understood the foundation on which you were standing. And that changes everything on how we deal with those fiery trials that we all experience. Jason Sattel had met the rescuer back after this. Jason Sattel spent 22 years as a paramedic and a firefighter. He's now an author, a speaker, and a preacher of the gospel. His brand new book is called The Rescuer, One Firefighter's Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love That Saved Him. Oh, Jason, so much to ask you in this last segment. First thing I have to ask is, what happened when you told Christy? Uh, when, I, uh, when I told her, it was, it was kind of funny, because if you get to know my wife, She's a big jokester, but she's also one of the most brilliant women I've ever met in my life. And it was almost like, she's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty undramatic with her. It was pretty amazing and stuff because she told me that she could see the same thing trying to shine out of me that I could see shining out of her. And she didn't convert me. Obviously, we've learned that, you know, that she's not the rescuer, nor am I the rescuer. But she just, you know, just kind of laughed it off and honestly makes fun of me kind of like yeah I know you knucklehead and, and she's a labor and delivery nurse to this day so she, she's a tough cookie but even back then with the way that she grew up also being come from a poor background and everything she had that heart inside but she did it with humor wow now you had to go back to the firehouse and you had to tell the guys how did that go <laughs> Well, when your nickname has been the demon seed for the first part of your career, <laughs> because there's a story early on where I got that nickname, which is a true story of where I uh, basically cursed a pastor off in our firehouse and told him to leave and take his book of lies called his Bible out of the firehouse. And if you want to help people to put on a helmet and a turnout coat and come to a fire with us, mm. 
Well, that got me the nick- nickname of uh, that. So when I told the guys that, you know, I can joke about the way that my crew took it, but there was also some people who still to this day, oh, we know the real Jason. We know the real you. And so, so you have those folks that still don't believe it because they just haven't, you know, been bathed in the Holy Spirit, if you will, and gotten the truth. <laughs> but the guys almost fell over when, when I took that initial leap and started uh, my journey of growing in Christ. Well, you're in good company. I'm sure that after Saul got his name transformation to Paul, there were people who said, oh, that guy that killed Christians, forget him. I got it. So tell me about the fact that your wife is still practicing OBGYN nurse, but you're not a firefighter, paramedic anymore. God's called you to a different line of work, but he used an interesting way to get you out of that. What happened? Well, you know what? It was the worst day of my life when it happened. The day the doctor walked into the hospital room and said, you can no longer be a firefighter after I'd gone through three surgeries. It was a basic fire ground injury where, where I fell through a hole and injured my back because I was wearing all the gear that we were wearing. And then uh, my surgeries didn't take and I went back to work. And as I was doing the job, the the surgery let out and my back basically mm. broke again. And um it was the worst day of my life, but looking back upon it now, it was the best day of my life because I can look at how God was preparing me for ministry with the life that he let me experience and and the richness of what I can look back into of going on tens and thousands of other people's emergencies and not glorifying those emergencies, but trying to find the message of hope in them yeah. and bring those messages of hope in a way that will glorify God and make people feel better it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, even though I'll be honest, every time a fire engine goes by, I kind of get a lump in my throat. But the beauty is one of our children who we adopted, he's now 22. He's a firefighter. He's actually out fighting the fires here in California right now. And so I get wow. to kind of live through him, if you will, which is a, which is pretty fun. Wow. And you understand God has us where he has us for a season, and then he plucks us and moves us someplace else. He's in charge. We're not. But I love the fact that the world that you were in is so replete with the symbolism, the darkness, the fires, the rescue, the pain, the hurt. We are in a sin-sick, fallen world. You saw death. You saw disease. You saw hurt. And you understood that the only one who can really put broken people back together again is Jesus. And on that note, by the way, You uh, were asked to write this book, and now that you've done it, welcome. This is a club where, uh, from a woman's perspective, having written just a few of these things, it's about a nine-month gestation, and then there's a labor and delivery. What can I tell you? I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head there. (laughs) (laughs) But you make this decision, and you get a phone call from a firefighter who's thousands of miles away. Tell our friends what happened. I didn't want to write this book there being a high school dropout in the 10th grade and not having what I felt the skills were to do this. I quit a bunch of times and Chrissy prayed for me, but this one particular time I was like, I'm done. I'll give all the money back that they gave me and all that. So I just, I'm done. I'm out of here. I get a phone call and it's from a a firefighter who's actually going to say goodbye to his wife and kids to go to work. But instead of going to work, he was going to kill himself. Mm -hmm. And he reached me through Facebook through something that I can't stand Facebook, to be honest with you, besides, you know, being able to, to, to in, interject some of God's love in it to other people. So, but hey, he, he, he called me, and we just had a, a brother-to-brother talk. And I did it in a Christ-like way 
and and I followed the biblical way of doing it, but I just talked to the brother in a way he could understand. And I've been able to since do it with, with my sisters and, and everyone, and, and it's just been so, so wonderful. And that's the experience that kind of told me, where it's like, all right, it would be sinful if I didn't push forward and do this book and, and write it. And it's just been my true prayer for it is it's just going to open up conversations with people that used to be like me. That's wow. my biggest prayer. And then the last thing I'll put there is, and I'm praying that Christians will read it and say, wow, there is hope. And I'm going to hang on to that hope when it's so rough and so bad. But I also want to, uh, I want to be nice to people. And yeah. the only way we're going to fix all the problems of this country and this world is by each person we approach bringing a little Jesus to them and, yes. and taking care of those in front of us, you know, and, and hope that once they become saved, they'll start seeing that love is the ultimate thing that's going to fix. Absolutely. Absolutely. Knowing that we're Christians by our love. Jason, I am excited for you and this book. I'm excited to see how God's going to open up the door and have you get to tell your story. Because really and truly, it is the story of being rescued. We are all ultimately rescued from our sins by the one who rescued us. We avoid the flames of eternal hell and damnation. There's old-fashioned ideas for you. You look in your Bible. They're there. I didn't make it up. And we are taken into a place of safety because of Jesus Christ. Jason, thank you. Thank you for standing in the gap as a first responder for over two decades. Thank you for being there when people were hurt, when they were breathing their last, when they were thinking of ending their lives. Thank you now for sharing with others how you yourself have been rescued. It is a powerful story, and I strongly recommend it. Check it out at our face, our website at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Click on that red box. It says Program Details and Audio. It'll take you over to the information page. There's more about Jason. There's a link to his book. I'll give you the title again in a second, but also a link to his Twitter feed. But remember, he also has a fabulous Facebook page. He puts all kinds of stuff on there. Three-quarters of a million people are following him there, so you can tell that he's using that platform to proclaim the good news of The Rescuer. His book is called The Rescuer, One Firefighter's Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love That Saved Him. Absolutely fascinating read. Read it and share it with someone else who needs to be rescued. Thanks for joining us, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.